Welcome back to Certain Comfort in Uncertain Times. A look at the book of Revelation that we are filming in the crazy year of 2020, uh, where we are in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. We just finished up a presidential election season. There's been all kinds of social and political unrest. And we have been journeying through the book of Revelation because it was written to give believers living in the end times, living in the period between the two comings of Christ, certain comfort in whatever uncertain times they are living in. I uh, was in youth group during the late 90s. I was exposed to, to late 90s Christian contemporary music, which produced uh, a lot of good things and a lot of strange things, a lot of unique things. Uh, and one of the, the more unique aspects of late 90s Christian contemporary music and one of my favorite unique things was the song Breakfast in Hell by the Newsboys, uh, which resulted in uh, people bringing cereal bowls and Captain Crunch boxes to their concerts. And I remember our youth group doing that at one point. And I bring that up not because it has anything to do with the passage we're going to look at, uh, other than the fact that as we come to Revelation chapter 16, having looked in the previous chapters at the worshipers of the beast, at those who worship uh, Yahweh, the living God of the Bible, uh, in chapters 13 and 14, the battle that commences between those two groups in chapter 15. And now we come to chapter 16, the final look at God's judgment of the world. And this final look at God's judgment on the world comes in the form of bowls being poured out on the earth. Uh, it, it comes in the form of God bringing uh, breakfast in hell, so to speak, as God's wrath is poured out on the earth in the form of the bowl judgments. And as we've said throughout this book, this is not a new series of judgments. Uh, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments are all different ways of, of saying the same thing, of illustrating the same events that are taking place. Uh, the first several judgments are those that occur throughout the church age throughout the end times between the two comings of Christ and the last several are those uh, that occur at the culmination of history prior to the second coming of Christ. But today we are going to look at Revelation chapter 16, the, the bold judgments. And as we've said all along, we are not going to get into the minutiae of looking at the symbols of trying to figure out one-to-one -one correlations of looking at the newspaper headlines uh, to try and identify things that we see in the book of Revelation. But instead, we want to focus on the certain comfort in uncertain times. And so we're going to just look at, at the broad themes that are clearly visible in this passage. And so follow along if you have your Bibles open as I read Revelation chapter 16, and then we'll look at, at three things that can give us certain comfort in uncertain times. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image. The second poured out his bowl into the sea. It turned to blood like that of a dead person, and all life in the sea died. The third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. I heard the angel of the waters say, You are just the Holy One who is and who was, because you have passed judgment on these things, because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, 
You have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. I heard the altar say, yes, the Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire and people were scorched by the intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. The sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. Then the seventh poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth. So great was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell from the sky on people and they blasphemed God for the plague of hail because that plague was extremely severe. Well, as, we've, uh, as we saw in the, the trumpet judgments, the sealed judgments were really God's judgment uh, being retold through something very similar like uh, the a retelling of the creation story. The trumpet judgments and the bold judgments really retell the Exodus story. And it's difficult not to read this chapter and see those parallels between the plagues on Egypt in the book of Exodus and the plagues that God pours out in the bold judgments on the earth in Revelation 16. And there are very many similarities that we see between the Exodus story, between the plagues of Exodus, their purpose, and the story here in Revelation 16, the plagues that we see here and their purpose. And these plagues are targeted at the world, aligned against God, at the, the dragon and the beast, the false prophets, the world system aligned against its creator. And for those of us living in times like these, with, uh, again, a presidential election season that, that just passed, an election that is still being disputed by some, and reactions to the election have really shown that even we as believers are tempted to look to the world for things that we should only be looking to God for. That we are very tempted to give to Caesar that which is God's instead of giving to Caesar only that which is Caesar's and giving to God that which is God's. 
And so as we are tempted to look to the world for things, there's certain comfort that I think we see in Revelation 16 is really a reminder that the world cannot provide what it is that we often look to it to provide. And by the world, I mean all that the world encompasses, our political systems, our economic systems, our healthcare systems. Uh, what we are looking to, to the created order to provide can only be provided by the creator. And so we're going to look at three things that the world cannot provide uh, that we see here as God's judgments are poured out on the earth. And the first of those is that the world cannot provide enduring security. The world cannot provide enduring security. One of the aspects of the plagues on Egypt that is often noted is that the plagues were targeted against the gods of Egypt, that each plague was meant to show the Egyptians that the gods that they were looking to for security could not actually provide it. And the same thing is true here in Revelation 16. Uh, whatever some of these symbols entail, what is clear is that these plagues are targeting aspects of the world system that we look to for security. It's targeting the political systems. It's targeting the economic systems. It's targeting those very things to which we are tempted to look to for our security. The very things that we are tempted uh, to worship, to give, uh, perhaps not actually bowing down in worship, but the things that we are tempted to give our time, our money, our energy, uh, all of our efforts in pursuit of. And so the seas turn to blood. The things that people would have looked to for their financial livelihoods are stripped away and turned to, to agents of death instead of agents of life. The sun, instead of providing life, scorches people. And so the world systems are not able to provide what it is we look to it for. And the irony, of course, is that we get this juxtaposition here where we have seen in the last several chapters that the beast and his worshipers are going to persecute the church. They are going to persecute the believers, those who would not take the mark of the beast, those who would not look to the beast for their security. And they will even put many of them to death. And we see that a reminder of that here in chapter 16. Because now we see uh, that death that we saw over the last couple chapters suddenly get turned on its head because those who had looked to the lamb for life, although dead, now have their eternal security. While those who had looked to the beast for security, while they seem to prosper in the short term, are now being stripped of their security. And so we see with the third bowl especially that because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets who have given them blood to drink, they deserve it. I heard the altar say, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The world is given that which they justly deserve. They had doled out death in the name of trying to cling to life. And in the end, they are forfeiting life and receiving death. 
And we see that the very things they look to for security actually secure their death. The things they look to for life actually secure their death. And so just as you saw in the book of Exodus, as with each plague, Pharaoh hardened his heart against the God of Israel. So with these plagues, we see the people that are suffering them harden their heart against God. And so in verse 9, they blaspheme the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. In verses 10 and 11, people gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. Ultimately, if we are going to insist on looking to other false gods, other idols, other things to provide us our security, eventually God's going to let us have our way. We see that in Romans chapter 1 where he gives gives the the worshipers of creation over to what they want to worship. And we see that in these judgments, that they secure, uh, instead of securing life, they secure death. It's what cements death for those who are aligned against the creator of the universe. It's very much as C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Great Divorce, that there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Or as he says in his book, The Problem of Pain, I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful, rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. I do not mean that the ghosts may not wish to come out of hell, in the vague fashion wherein an envious man wishes to be happy. But they certainly do not will even the first preliminary stages of that self-abandonment through which alone the soul can reach any good. They enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved, just as the blessed forever submitting to obedience become through all eternity more and more free. And so the plagues that God doles out is God giving people what they want. You want to trust in this instead of me. You want to worship this instead of me. You want to look to this for your ultimate satisfaction. You want to look to this as your ultimate source. Here you go. And in the end, that is the very thing that secures your death instead of your life. And so this is a call for all of us not to look to the world to provide us with enduring security. Whatever, whatever political party uh, we are prone to voting for or supporting, whichever candidate we hoped would win the election last week. Because that is something that I, I saw very much on social media as, as Christians were asked why they were voting for a certain candidate. Often said things like they were looking for security, whether that's national security or personal security or financial security or healthcare security or whatever form of security that is, we were looking to politicians to give it to us. We were looking to the government as our source. We were looking for a person or a party or a country to give us that which only God can truly provide. 
And so especially in these uncertain times, we need to see the message of Revelation 16 that the world cannot provide enduring security. Only God can. And then secondly, the world cannot provide enduring peace. The world cannot provide enduring peace. Verses 12 through 16, the sixth bowl is poured out and the response from uh, the dragon and the beast and the false prophet are that three unclean spirits like frogs come from their mouths and uh, they're demonic spirits and they perform signs and they travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle. The, uh, it has been uh, common among commentators to see these demonic spirits that come out like frogs as being spirits of deception, of propaganda, of manipulation. Uh, they are spirits that go out and, uh, among the world and, and rally people through lies and propaganda and deception uh, into false worship and into turning uh, on the God of creation and leading them into uh, especially false worship. That's what we see in verse 15 where we have this interlude where Jesus says, look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. And that's a reference back to the letters to the churches earlier in the book in chapters 2 and 3 uh, where nakedness and having uh, been clothed was referenced to uh, idolatry or staying pure from idolatry. And so this is a spirit of false prophets that are going out, but they're going out as a way to rally people to peace. Uh, we've seen this in the last few chapters is there's this false unity uh, that the beast is able to drum up among the people of the world, mimicking the unity that only the spirit of God can bring among his people. And they rally these people uh, to a battle that is uh, where the, the, these forces of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet think they are going to defeat and finally be victorious over God's people. But of course, as chapters 14 and 15 have prepared us for, it is actually as God's people are slaughtered that God's people gain the victory. It is by killing the people of God that actually brings defeat for the beast and the dragon and the great prophet. And so they rally the people of the earth, the kings of the earth, to wage war on the people of God. But ultimately, they are going to be defeated. The peace that they're trying to bring out is not true peace. It is a parody of the peace that only the prince of peace can bring. And so there's unity that we should strive for, and then there's unity that's false unity. And sometimes it can be hard for us to tell. Uh, you have even differing opinions nowadays on what constitutes peace. And for many, peace is merely the absence of conflict. And so you've seen a lot of that in 2020 as we've had these uh, political and social unrest uh, throughout the country. And you have people who want peace, but what they mean by peace is just the absence of conflict. So let's everybody just go back to their corners and maintain the status quo and stop arguing with each other. And that is peace. That is unity. Except that's not peace 
or unity. As it's been said, the, uh, the peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. And so peace will only come when the Prince of Peace brings it. The world cannot bring it. They can rally people to a cause through propaganda and deception and manipulation through these demonic spirits that go out. They can have us all uh, rallying to end conflict and come together against a common enemy, but they cannot bring true peace. Only the Prince of Peace can do that. And so the world cannot provide enduring security, but it also cannot provide enduring peace. And thirdly, the world cannot provide enduring hope. The world cannot provide enduring hope. As we come to the final few verses of this chapter, we see what we've seen at the end of the seal judgments and at the end of the trumpet judgments, uh, not necessarily specific celestial signs that we should look for or geographic disturbances that we should look for, but we see is the undoing of creation. We see the finality of God's judgment as creation itself is deconstructed and brought back to what we see uh, in the early verses of Genesis where it is formless and void before God speaks to bring order out of chaos. And so we see God bringing the created order to an end so that he can recreate it. And so we see this great earthquake uh, like no other people have ever seen. And then in verse 19, the great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. As we come to the end of Revelation 16, the end of God's judgment upon the earth, the great city falls. And I think it's easy for us as American Christians to picture the great city as something outside of ourselves. To picture the great city as being some other nation, some other people. But what we've seen all throughout this book is that uh, th this is applicable to all people in all times. And so the great city, Babylon the Great, uh, may very well reference some city that will be, or some nation that will be in existence at the very end of creation. But it's also a reference to the world system in every generation aligned against God. And this is a reminder to us that the world cannot provide enduring hope. That the United States of America is not the last great hope for mankind. Only Jesus Christ is. We see this in Hebrews chapter 13, where the author of Hebrews reminds his audience in verse 14, for we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. It is a temptation for Christians in every age, perhaps, but it is especially one for those of us in America to forget where our true citizenship lies, to forget that we are sojourners and aliens here on this earth, to forget that we do not have an enduring city 
here, but instead we wait for the one to come. And that is what uh, these bold judgments remind us of, is that one day the great city will fall. One day the United States of America will fall. It may be just within time as other nations and empires have fallen, or it may be when the Prince of Peace comes back to establish the eternal city. But one day the United States of America will cease to exist. And so we cannot look to her for hope any more than we can look to her for peace or look to her for security. The only source of our hope is the coming king who will establish our enduring city, the city which will not fade away, which will never be overcome. And that is where our hope needs to rest, especially in a year like 2020 especially with all of the uncertainty of these times, amid all the unrest, amid all the plague, amid all the conflict, uh, amid all the uncertainty of an election which still hasn't officially ended over a week later. Our hope is that the United States of America will pass away. Our hope is that the United States of America one day will be no more. And therefore, we don't need to look to her to provide what only God can provide. And that can be a tough thing for us to hear as American citizens, that our hope is one day that our country will fade away. But that is our hope. Because our citizenship ultimately is not here in America, but hidden with Christ in heaven, waiting to be revealed when he returns. And that is the citizenship that ultimately can provide not only our hope, but our security and our peace. In whatever season we're in, whether it's uh, a very tumultuous one like most of 2020 has been, or whether it's a, a calmer one, whatever season we're in, uh, our security, our peace, and our hope can only be found in Jesus Christ it can only be found in the heavenly kingdom and in the heavenly city and never here in our earthly kingdoms, in our earthly city. Our hope is that Jesus Christ, who reigns in heaven now, will one day come and reign on earth and put an end to all of our earthly securities, all of our earthly peace, all of our earthly hope. He will destroy our idols. He will destroy our false uh, uh, unity. He will destroy all of our false cities and kingdoms. And he and only he will reign. And so brothers and sisters, wh whatever situation you find yourself in, whenever you're watching this, do not look to the United States of America for security, peace, and hope. Do not look to a politician, to a political party. Do not look to our financial systems, our healthcare systems. Do not look to anything this world has to offer. Look only to Jesus. Thank you for joining us as we've looked at Revelation 16 and join us next week as we'll look at Revelation chapter 17.